Turn in your Bibles. I, I can't think of a better thing to say to you. Psalm 105. Let me read the passage and then pray. Psalm 105, beginning with verse 1. I'll give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of all his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and judgments he uttered. Let us pray. Our Father God, this morning as we gather as your people, we are blessed by so many different things that you have given to us. You've given us your word. You've given us salvation. You've given us the Holy Spirit. You've given us gospel companionship. You've given us the privilege of corporate worship. You've made us part of your body. And this morning we ask that we together, as we sit under the teaching of the scriptures, may have our hearts encouraged, our hearts convicted, and have our ambitions and affections shaped by your spirit and your scriptures to be more like Jesus. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, for some of you, you know me from perhaps 31-some years of ministry here, and it was my blessing to be your pastor until God made it clear that it was time to hand the baton off uh, to another man. And I remember, some of you don't know this, but I remember telling our deacons when I was 60 that we were going to begin the process of thinking through our future. And uh, so very blessed to have had God lead in that and enjoy the gospel companionship of why, what are you doing here, honey? (laughs) You don't know me, some of you, but I... Where was I? Okay. I am very thankful for the the work that God did in the fellowship and for seeing you all well and good. And I am blessed beyond measure by that. Some months ago, Pastor Andrew called and asked if I would be available to preach this Sunday. And given that Maranatha is my home, uh, I said, of course. And uh, I even though I am serving on temporary assignment, and I appreciate Pastor mentioning that, I asked our pastor's counsel as to whether or not he thought it was appropriate for me to serve as an interim pastor. And he encouraged me to pray through that and gave his blessing and the blessing of the leadership. And and so I serve at uh, this congregation's um, behest. 
Well, anyway, when he asked me, I, I said I would be glad to do it. And uh, later on in the follow-up conversation, I asked him, I said, so, so Pastor, what would be a good Bible truth to bring to God's people here at Maranatha? And he said, you know, thankfulness would, would be something that would be appropriate. He said, it, it's such a salve for the soul. And, uh, and following that, prayer and deliberation on what uh, passage would be appropriate. I mean, after all, when you've preached for 41 years on Thanksgiving, guess what? You haven't exhausted all the passages, but you've hit a couple of them. And so it's like, uh, and a pastor doesn't want to be grossly repetitious. I'm thankful that, uh, that uh, many of you don't use Bibles anymore where you write the date of the last time the pastor preached on that particular passage, right? So um, here we are. And uh, when you think about Thanksgiving, and that is what is coming uh, for most of us on uh, Thursday, we, we often link the day to um, stories we heard about pilgrims and Indians and Turkey and, you know, all those kind of things. And, and you may even have a family tradition where you get together and, and everybody sits around the table and there's that, that appropriate prayer of Thanksgiving. And, and then you go around the table and you ask each person, what are you thankful for? It's appropriate. I do want you to understand that um, this business of Thanksgiving has a much earlier history than that. And if you were to go back in Scripture, you would find that uh, the Bible is filled with instructions on the matter of Thanksgiving. Of the five different sacrifices in the Old Testament, one of them was called a praise sacrifice or a thanks offering, and it was not an obligation. It was not one that was given because of sin. It was not given as restitution for something that had been done. It was just the exuberant expression of a heart that was thankful to God. And it was something that, that showed the heart and affection and joy of the individual that was engaging in it. We find in the book of Leviticus on several different occasions that there were explicit instructions given to the Levites regarding the matter of thanksgiving. And can you, can you imagine that written into the, the Old Testament law was the fact that there were specific groups of people that were required to give thanks in the morning and in the evening. It was their responsibility. Uh, did you do your job today? Yes, I said thank you. And, and some of you may kind of think back to the early days, you were not born thankful. How many of you realize that? The first thing that came out of your mouth was not Thanksgiving. I remember birth of my children, and I have to tell you that uh, the first thing they did was not say thank you for that slap. Um, they voiced their objection, and, and for us, now your family may be different, but for us, helping our children learn to be thankful was a journey. You know, you would, you would say, I have a cookie for you. What do you say? And they would, well, give it to me. Mm, that doesn't work. You have to say please. And then when you would give the cookie to them, what would you, you coach them, right? Say thank you. In fact, I'm still, Judith and I live with our youngest son and his wife and children, and we're still coaching a little bit. You know, we, uh, one of the youngest ones we give a cookie to, and then when she doesn't say thank you, guess what happens? There's a repo. And it's like, oh, you didn't say. We learn to be thankful. And so here were the Levites who had this responsibility, morning and evening, of saying thank you. It was their written job description. 
You work your way through the Old Testament, the Psalms in particular, and over and over again, this theme of being thankful appears. Psalm 136, which makes the statement 26 times, the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever, begins and ends with the bookend, give thanks to the Lord. And when you get into the New Testament, you see this business of thankfulness is brought forward as a duty and a characteristic of the believer. So, when we celebrate Thanksgiving later on this week with our families, I want you to understand that while it is indeed an enjoyable hobby or a holiday, it's more than that. Thanksgiving is a notable part of every believer's life. And as you listen this morning, I want you to understand that there are a couple aspects to preaching that I want to clarify. For one, preaching is responsibility, has the responsibility of explaining what God said, right? And that's why I ask you at the beginning, open your Bible and look at it. Because as you look at the Word, that's what God said. And it's important to understand, I'm not here, you're not here, to hear what somebody thinks about a subject. Primarily, you're here to hear what God has to say. In companionship with that is the practical application. So how do I take what God has to say and fit it into the life that I live for his glory? In relationship to that, a question that I would encourage you to ask yourself presently is how thankful am I presently? How am I doing at being thankful? Following that, I would encourage you, because sometimes we, we deceive ourselves. Remember in the psalm, it says, you know, uh, keep me back from secret faults and help me know what's inside. I need the help of the Holy Spirit. So one of the things I would encourage you as you're driving home, if you have the guts to do it, ask someone else, so am I generally a thankful person? Do you do you expect me to be thankful or do you expect me to be a little surly and crabby and, and discontent and quick to identify some of the difficulties in life, right? That's a fair question, isn't it? Because Scripture instructs us to be thankful. Well, I want you to look at the passage with me a little more carefully. And as we take up Psalm 105, we're looking at a psalm that really has much to say about God. Now, portions of this psalm also appear over in 1 Chronicles chapter 16, and, and it was sung and prayed by David as the ark was being brought into Jerusalem. The whole psalm is a song of praise and thanksgiving to God for his covenant faithfulness uh, to his people. And as you look at the, the psalm, you recognize that that really serves as a clear instruction for how worship should be in the life of the believer. And as we took up the opening verses, uh, they serve as the backbone of the psalm's instruction on the matter. And the verses are really uh, packed with explicit uh, directions and instructions, actually commands to us, and, and mark the fact that they're given in a sequence of imperatives, imperative, a, a command, do this. Now, let me list them for you. First, we have give thanks to the Lord. Well, I don't feel like it. Give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds. 
Sing unto him, tell of all his wondrous works, glory in his holy name, seek the Lord, remember his works. Such an extensive list of commands from God informs us that uh, genuine worship is, is something that, that really focuses in on who God is and what he's done. Paul Tripp, commenting on worship in one of his books, uh, makes the statement that we tend to think about worship being those moments when our hearts are just really lifted up and we're just we're overwhelmed emotionally by the flow of things and, and the blessings that we've enjoyed. I, I have to tell you, um, I have always enjoyed listening to you sing. Now, most, I don't know if you noticed, but I'm sitting up here on the very front, and I turn around and look at you, and, and I see your faces as you're lit into the song, and, and you're letting it flow, and, and I, I get cold chill. I'm, it's, Kleenex were supposed to be over there for me, but, uh, you know, I, I can't be, I'm caught up in it. It's, it. it's good. It feels good, but that's not the only time that worship really flows from the heart of the believer. Uh, Paul comments on the fact that uh, Worship also should flow when we endure those hammer blows of disappointment, when things don't go the way we expect, when we're brokenhearted by some of the difficulties of life and, and uh, the frailties of our own flesh and, and the disappointments and the hurts that sin brings. That's where we have an opportunity to worship as well. I can't help but think about the passage in Habakkuk, and I want you to turn there just for a moment. In Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Now listen to the last statement. To the choir master with stringed instruments. Do you know what that's saying? In essence, it's saying, John, get on it. Make it loud. Make it clear. And, and so here is Habakkuk, a a, a, a a prophet that had a very difficult ministry. <laughs> I mean, if you wanted to be a pastor or a prophet, you'd probably want to go to people that loved you and, and, and you're all done. And, oh, pastor, that was a wonderful sermon. You know, not people that didn't like you and really did not like anything you had to say. And here's Habakkuk in a very difficult situation saying, listen, in the most trying of circumstances, I will rejoice in the Lord. Coming back to the passage, I want you to recognize that as you look at this text, you understand that there's a reason why this song of praise, and that's what Psalm 105 is, begins with such an extensive list of imperatives. If we are God-focused rather than self-focused, if we're humble rather than full of ourself, if we're interested in the things that reflect good, well, on his glory, instead of our own interests, uh, we end up being interested and finding delight in bringing thanks to God. We cannot think much of God and think much of ourselves at the same time. And so as this psalm launches into this matter of worship, it says you start at the right place with your view of God. Now, 
as you look at this passage, you recognize that, that imperatives sometimes end up being a little um, intrusive into our self-centered living. Isn't that right? I mean, if I said to you, be thankful, you, what? Who are you? Why are you telling me that? And, and I don't know all of you here, but, but given the, the nature of the human heart, we've all had moments where we've been pretty surly and self-focused and unhappy. Am I right? And, and maybe somebody else has said to you, you need to change your attitude. And our heart instinctively says, well, who are you to tell me? Well, I want you to know the statement that is made here comes from God. And when God gives us instructions, he gives us instructions for our benefit. And as you stop and recognize the necessity of this instruction, you may recognize that when I get around to asking someone else, am I really a thankful person, you may not like the answer. The fact of the matter is, is as you're sitting here, you may recognize that, that more often than not, you're a little moody. You're a little surly. You tend to be critical. I remember an individual who said to me, well, um, sarcasm is my love language. You ever heard that statement? It's ungodly. It is, it's, it's contrary to the, the characteristic of a believer. And so as you're sitting here and doing a little bit of self-diagnosis, you know, I, I struggle with a critical disposition and I'm, I'm too easily offended. I have a pervasive spirit of disappointment when I think about things. I got to tell you, when God says to individuals who have those struggles, he says, be thankful. I want you to understand that his command is not like some tyrant who is pressing in on you and saying, you better do this or I'm going to, you know. I get his name wrong. There have been so many of them. Kim Ung Jing Jong or whatever it is, North Korea. Do you realize that when, when he says be thankful, everybody just goes off? Because they know that not following his instruction is very traumatic. Well, when God says do something, he tells us that because of his goodness and his nature. He tells us because it is for our blessing and our good. And, and being a thankful person is not just a therapeutic blessing. It is a deep and spiritual benefit to the soul of a man. I'll never forget, a number of years ago, I was invited to a, um, to a graduation party. And uh, we were at the graduation party, and in the middle of summer, uh, the, uh, the family decided it'd be appropriate to have a bonfire. And I guess they hadn't planned a long time ahead for the bonfire because the wood was green. And uh, green wood doesn't light well. How many of you know that? You know, I live in Columbus, maybe not. But, uh, you know, green wood, hard to light. And they were struggling with, you know, paper and cardboard. And, and then somebody decided, well, I'll go get the gas can. I debated telling the story, so if, if, if everybody smiles, then nobody knows who I'm talking about. So uh, I remember the young man going to the garage and coming back, sloshing along with a gas can, and he was running towards the, bon the bonfire that it was a little, the fire was there, but it just wasn't very significant. And, and he's unscrewing the lid, and I said, what are you doing? He said, I'm going to throw this gas on the fire. I said, no, you're not. Now, now my command, that was what I was doing, 
was not the expression of a tyrant who wanted to interfere with the pleasure of that young man. What was I interested in? His safety and his goodness. And so when God says to you as a believer, be thankful, he means it for your good. He means to bless you. And so as you look at this matter of thankfulness and you ask yourself the question, how often am I thankful? And you mark the fact that there's a deficiency there. I want you to think with me for a couple minutes of some of the reasons why believers... Now, let me tell you, unbelievers have all kinds of reasons for being unthankful, right? Believers, on the other hand, have all kinds of reasons for being thankful. And when a believer is unthankful, there are some things probably that are amiss. Let me mention them. For one, we've forgotten where we came from. We've forgotten where we came from. You're in Psalm 105, and I want you to turn over, if you would, to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 9. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 9 is kind of a, a concluding portion of the earlier logic and lesson that Peter is bringing to people that he loves. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. And as he works his way down through that list of of characteristics of the believer, he he comes to the conclusion there in verse 9, for whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Can we forget where we came from? Well, evidently, if you were to work your way through Scripture, you will find that that God in the Old Testament in particular reminded the nation of Israel over and over again of the messiness of their past and his deliverance from it. Right? He found them cast aside abandoned, and he loved them. He reminds them over and over again, I brought you out of the iron furnace. I did this. I did that. I blessed you abundantly. I have given you all these good things. And I got to tell you, in the face of all the things that God has done for us, it's, it's just appropriate. It's, it's reasonable. It's proper to have a thankful spirit all the time. I made the comment earlier, I, I did not come into the world thankful. And I had to learn, first with the instruction of godly parents, but then also with the instruction of the Spirit of God in Scriptures, to be thankful consistently. And I would appeal to you as you leave here later on this morning, I would ask that what you do is with the help of the Holy Spirit, you make a conscious and deliberate decision moving forward from this point. I want thankfulness to be the characteristic of my life in the remainder of my journey till Jesus takes me home. It helps to remember where you came from, to remind yourself that you were dead in trespasses and sin that your life was an absolute tragedy waiting to happen, 
that there was nothing but disappointment and brokenness and despair, and you had nothing to hope for until Jesus worked into your life and brought you to grace and saved you. Unbelievable. And that should be something that captures your thinking every single day. It's appropriate to remind ourselves of what he's done for us. There's another thing that, that is important for us to remember. And over in Psalm 136, and I, I referred to it earlier, but let me just touch on it for a second. In Psalm 136, it says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. How many times does he say, for his steadfast love endures forever? 26 times. Now, now when we repeat something to our children, why do we do it? We repeat it because we think it's important, and we're counting on them probably forgetting, and we know that they need to remember. And so here is the psalmist saying 26 times, for his steadfast love endures forever. If you mark the passage, you'll notice that both the beginning and the end, the first and the last verse, have that statement, give thanks to the Lord, for his steadfast love endures forever. And we're not going to take the full measure of the passage here, but, but I want you to remind yourself that, that what this passage expresses in the Old Testament is a picture of the heart of Christ for us. And the Holy Spirit wants us to understand the unbelievable blessing that we as a believer have in the unconditional, unchangeable, steadfast love of Jesus. I got to tell you, in the most difficult moments of my life, the thing that I have found to be most precious is that Jesus loves me unconditionally. Why? I don't have an answer, but I know his steadfast love never changes. Over 40 years of ministry counseling people in all kinds of conditions, I found myself in so many cases wishing that there was a pill. One little capsule that had the steadfast love of Christ pressed inside that I could give to that person and say, take this, it'll change your life. Now, there are no pills. But a substitute for that would be reminding yourself of what it says in Ephesians chapter 3. So I want you to go there just for a moment. By the way, how, yeah, I'll ask this question. Uh, how, how many of you on occasion... Um, get a little moody and self-focused and a little uncertain about how important you are and, and blah, blah, blah. Don't raise your hands because other people are watching. <laughs> but the remedy for that is to understand the unconditional, steadfast love of Christ. And my appeal to you would be that you memorize this passage. In fact, go ahead and ask your husband or your wife, do I need to know this passage? Go ahead. It would be a good idea. Okay, here we go. Let me read it to you. For this reason, this is one of two prayers that the apostle prays in Ephesians. Uh, 
For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend. I would like to have the strength to figure that one out. Do you follow that? That's what... Paul, I want the Holy Spirit to help you have the strength to figure this out. What is it? That you may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So when you find yourself unthankful, One of the things that I would encourage you to remember, if you are a believer today, that Jesus loves you. Tim Knoyer, by nature a little moody, um, I always say one thing to myself at night when I go to sleep. Okay, I always tell my wife I love her and a couple other things too, but but, uh, the last thing, I don't tell my wife this, I always say, thank you, Jesus, for loving me unconditionally. I'm amazed by that, that he does. He's never stopped. And I, I was sitting this morning as I was having prayer and, and just kind of reviewing the, the unbelievable reality of his, of his steadfast love over the years, putting up with me for 75, amazing. He loves me. And so when you are thinking through this business of how do I approach this business of being thankful, where do I start? Well, he loves you. This sweet truth of the unconditional, never-failing, steadfast love of Jesus is the very foundation, in some sense, of the Christian life. It is a recurring theme in the Old Testament, but it's also the pinnacle of two of the very significant lessons in the New Testament, both in the book of Romans, chapter 8, and also in the book of Ephesians that I'm talking about right now. And so here we are, uh, considering reasons to be thankful, and, and I'm speaking to people who are believers this morning and saying, are you really thankful on a consistent basis, or is it something that's kind of worked into your schedule when you're reminded by other people? It should be something that is, that is at the heart and at the center of who you are and how you display your faith. So let me ask you a couple questions as you put this together in practical terms. They're diagnostic in a sense. How often do you find yourself thankful for the challenges that he allows in your life, trusting in his wise provision and confident that his testing will create godliness? I think about the passage in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 10, where it says this, talking about discipline, chastening. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens. But then verse 10, it's just phenomenal. The whole passage is wonderful. But he says this, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Do you know why he spanks Tim? <laughs> so that I can grow. And so when he brings challenge and difficulty and heartaches, instead of whining with him, why are you doing this? Thank you, Lord. I, I, I am thankful that you love me enough to help me grow. How often do you find yourself thankful for his provision? It is incredibly easy to become discontent with what you have in comparison with other people. Do you realize that? 
By the way, there's a reason why in the, the commandments that God gave in the Old Testament, he says, thou shalt not, what? Covet. How often are you thankful for the path that he has brought you on with the unique challenges and lessons that he crafted with his loving hand for your good and his glory? And as you think about the matter, practical question is this, is are you growing more humble because thankfulness and humility go together? I think about the Apostle Paul, and uh, you can journey, you can kind of track his uh, progression in his humility. Over in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he refers to himself as the least of the apostles. Then, in Ephesians, he says, less, uh, the very least of all saints, okay? He's gone from being the least of the apostle to the least of all saints, and then Here's the gold standard over in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. He says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. As Paul grew in his understanding of the grace of God, he also grew to be more sensitive to his struggle and sinfulness. You know, it's a strange thing. I've been around people long enough to know that some people are quite taken with their holiness. I mean, they, they have kind of a routine in their things. That they're quick to let you know how good they are. I smile with them and think, well, okay. But characteristic of a godly individual is to become more sensitive to the sin that indwells and is a problem. Am I right? How thankful are you for the convicting power of the Holy Spirit in your life. Let me close with a verse from 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I want you to turn to that. We're going to come back to it at the very end of the service. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9 deal with the matter of giving. Now, you wouldn't think that, that the Apostle Paul, great theologian that he was, would think that it was necessary to talk to a church about giving. You know, just, just kind of grind your way through eschatology and people will get it automatically. No. He did teach people about giving. He actually took two chapters to do it. He takes a whole lot less time to deal with the matter of church discipline. And here he is at the beginning of chapter 8 and the end of chapter 9. Book ends, we got Jesus, okay? But listen to what he says in chapter 9. Verse 15, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. <laughs> now, stop and think about the, the curious structure that we have here. He uses the phrase inexpressible to identify something that it, it's just, it, it's, there's too much to it. You can't get your hands around it. You can't explain it fully, Right? How many of you ever read through the book of Ezekiel and kind of been bogged down with the wheel within the wheel and the eyes and all, you know, and, and Ezekiel keeps on saying, and it was like, it was like, you know, it's just so hard to completely explain that kind of uses that, it was like. Well, here is Paul, and when he says, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift, he is talking about Jesus. And, and he is describing the emotion of his heart when he considers the blessing of Christ in his life. 
How many of you have ever had those inexpressible moments where something has just so overwhelmed you that it's, it's just more than you can take? You ever been there? It, it's just... <laughs> I think about the day that um, I got married. Um, and I remember the, the doors opening up and in walked this lady that was coming towards the front. I started crying. And uh, she told me later that she was uncertain of the wisdom of what she decided to do. <clears throat> I, it was in, thanks be to God for this inexpressible gift. You know, uh, another illustration of that inexpressible part was a, a couple months ago, I was up in Millersburg area um, driving. How many of you know that area, the windy roads and twisty, twisty and all that kind of stuff? And I was driving um, and I was, I was going on the inside of a curve right up against the hill. And there was a guy coming on the other road. Of course, it was a tight corner and I had no idea he was there. And suddenly I see this Ford F-350 that had decided to kind of cut into my lane because it was a shorter way to go. How many of you understand what I'm saying? And, and I, I remember I, I got over about as far as I could and that was it. And it was like, oh Lord. And then the guy passed me. And my, my insides, how many of you understand that feeling? It just roiled up inside. Thank you, Lord. It's like, Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. My question to you this morning is, are you a person who is known for thanksgiving? The world knows the mess it's in. Do you realize that? It's, it's a tragedy. No solution. Capable of identifying the heartaches around, but really no solution. And, and the thing that should distinguish us from the unbelieving world is not so much hairstyle or, uh, you know, the fact that, that we have a dot on the center of our head or we have a, you know, whatever. The thing that should characterize us is that we are a thankful people in a messy world. Why? Because we know how the story ends. We know Jesus as our Savior. We know that what it says in 1 John chapter 3 is true. We are the children of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be, but when we see him, we shall be like him. And he that has this hope purifies himself. So the purpose of preaching is to take what God has to say and put it out before God's people clearly and bring them to the point of saying yes or no to God. The Father commands his people to be thankful. And you this morning can either say with a clear conscience, the Spirit of God has worked in me that I have grown to be a thankful person and that thankfulness is something that the unbelieving world sees and believers rejoice in with me. Or you may be here this morning saying, you know what, I'm convicted by the Spirit of God that I'm not as thankful as I ought to be. I've forgotten where I've come from and I've forgotten the love of Christ. And with humility, I'm going to repent of that. And I'm going to commit myself to change for the glory and the testimony of Christ. 
Let's pray. Our Father God, this morning, we are thankful for Jesus. We're thankful for the joy of our salvation. We're thankful for gospel companionship. We're thankful for the scriptures. We're thankful for the spirit that indwells. And we want to be known, not by artificial thankfulness that is strained, but by that kind of thankfulness that rises from a heart that is overwhelmed by the sweetness of our Savior. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of my habits was to always close a service with a passage so that the last thing you heard from me was the scriptures. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift.